Utah lawmakers are hurling toward a midnight deadline for the 2023 legislative session. They began with a record number of bill requests, more than 1,300. That got whittled down to something like 900 or so bills that were actually written. And most of those won't become laws, of course, but lawmakers have managed to pass a school voucher bill. They passed a ban on health care for transgender minors, a ban on abortion clinics. They've been debating water bills this year, particularly water for Great Salt Lake. But as the Salt Lake Tribune's Leah Larson put it, the session hasn't felt quite as splashy as last year. Still, there's plenty to talk about in these final hours of the session. So today on Radio West, that's what we'll do. Join us after this. KUER has a new way for you to communicate with us. We're calling it Tell KUER. Tell KUER is a feature in our mobile app that allows you to send voice messages to the station. Let us know how we're doing, why you listen, or what you'd like to hear more of. Got an idea for a local news story? It's a great place to drop us a line about that, too. Send us a voice message with Tell KUER and find it in the menu of KUER's mobile app. It often seems like there's a theme you can identify that defines a session of the Utah legislature. Sometimes it's a particular issue or a controversy. Sometimes it's just the mood of lawmakers. Maybe they're getting along, maybe they're not. And you can see that reflected in the kinds of bills they end up passing. Sometimes there's a moment you can see in a session that tells you the theme. Holly Richardson of the Deseret News and Robert Gerke of the Salt Lake Tribune may have found the moment in this year's session. But you have to back up to get there first. So I think the best place to begin is at the end of Governor Gary Herbert's term. Parties came together and signed this Utah Compact on Racial Equity. It is chilly outside, but I think all of us feel warm in our hearts because of the occasion that brings us together. And it was sort of a manifestation of the Utah way, the way that we're trying to bring people together and find some middle ground. And uh, we would yet have an opportunity to fulfill the dream that Martin Luther King talked about, particularly as he quoted the Declaration of Independence. Fast forward to this session. It starts off kind of hot. Then you kind of get to the middle of the session and things are moving along at the pace we anticipate, kind of weeks number three and four. And we had a host of bills that were targeting this diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of the bills was sponsored by Katie Hall, a freshman representative. It's called State Entity Restrictions. It prevents universities from requiring statements on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, So HB 51, this started from some conversations with constituent friends who came to me with concerns of the types of questions and writing prompts that their kids were having um, to fill out and were required for their applications to graduate programs. This legislation would have banned those questions. Students or job applicants can't be compelled to give a statement of supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, equity, inclusion are good words in and of themselves. I think we can all agree with that. Um, But I think we can also agree that they've become kind of a political hot button. Um, And the people I talked with said that they felt like this was a judgment. There have been some discussions about these issues for the past couple years, frankly, where there is a concern among Republicans that they feel like their kids are being made to feel ashamed of their race or past incidents of racism. There is a strong sentiment among some Republicans that this should be a colorblind society and that race in modern society in this state doesn't matter anymore. It shouldn't be something that's considered when you're talking about a job or school admission or when you're learning history. But we already know the data. We already have the stats on disparities between racial groups, ethnic groups, even gender groups at the university level. As this push to root out this diversity education has spread nationwide, it's trickled down into Utah. 
You have people like Senator John Johnson, who's saying anti-racism is racism. I believe very strongly that, that that's the case, that uh, anti-racism is racism, okay? And uh, you can read the works of Ebron Kendi. He also sponsored a bill that would have done away with diversity, equity, and inclusion offices in colleges and universities. This is a national movement. So back to Katie Hall's bill that would prevent universities from asking questions about diversity, equity, and inclusion on hiring statements. It got through committee on a party line vote with the three Democrats voting against it, all of the Republicans voting for it. It came to this sort of showdown on the House floor. Thank you. Let's go to discussion on the bill. Representative Hollins. Representative Sandra Hollins, who is a social worker. The only black member of the legislature. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Stands up and says, Mr. Speaker, I have to rise in opposition to this bill. I have been sitting here thinking and thinking and thinking since yesterday about what I'm going to say. Because yesterday, my phone was blowing up with community members asking me the question, what is going on at the Capitol? And she said, I just don't know what to tell them anymore. I have people who are saying to me, didn't Utah sign a racial compact? What is going on? She talked about how, you know, she was hearing from people in her community who were wondering how they can feel safe. I don't know what to tell them. I have people who I'm working with organizations to try to bring diverse businesses here. And one of the things they want to know, do we feel safe? Are our children going to be safe? My question, my answer to them now is I don't know. I don't know. There's an effort to get rid of diversity in schools. There's a re- to get rid of inclusion in schools. I don't know what to say to them anymore. I'm, I'm at a loss for words. So with that, Mr. Speaker, I don't know what else to say. I rise in opposition to this bill because I don't know what we're doing anymore. Thank you. I think she was talking to a larger idea of including everybody in this community. She was pushing for a sense of, if we're going to say that we value inclusion, then let's show that we value equity and inclusion. Let's show that we value diversity. And when we see bills like this, numerous bills like this come up during a legislative session, it's hard for the people who feel targeted by that to actually feel like they're being included, to actually feel like they're valued in the community. I think what it tells us is that there are lawmakers now who are willing to revisit conversations about diversity who are willing to revisit conversations about racism in our state, but not in the way that maybe I would think would be productive, right? For many people, it feels like this is a step backwards. I think for so long, the Utah legislature has really fancied itself as a moderate voice, an independent voice. We do things the Utah way. This notion that we do things differently, that we value other viewpoints, that we embrace a diverse set of ideas. And I think in this instance and many others that we saw at the end of the session, the Utah way kind of went by the wayside. We're seeing all of these nationalized issues, this national agenda filtering down into the Utah legislature in a way that we haven't seen in the past. This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio. It's the final day of the 2023 legislative session. Lawmakers will wrap things up at midnight. So there are still things up in the air. But of course, enough has been done to say something about what has happened this year. And that's what we're going to do today. Talk about the session, what lawmakers did and didn't do. With us through the, throughout the hour is Holly Richardson. She's the editor of Utah Policy, a columnist for the Deseret News, former lawmaker as well. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Robert Gerke, also back with us. He's a columnist for the Salt Lake Tribune. Hi. Hi, Doug. Hi. And uh, Ben Winslow is with us. He's back with us again, a reporter for Fox 13. Ben, Hello. Th- thanks for joining us. Well, I, let's begin with um, – I wanted to begin with that, com- that little setup piece that we, we just heard – 
the bill propose that proposed to eliminate diversity, equity, and you know inclusion offices in public universities. Senator Johnson ultimately pulled that bill. It didn't get through. Um, so the question is like, so did uh, did cooler heads prevail? Because this may be where Ben Winslow comes in to offer kind of a dissenting voice. He's not sure he agrees with the premise of that setup piece. He, Ben, you don't think these extreme bills actually are making it through? Well, what we've seen at least in the next – at least is, yes, these bills are getting hearings. They are certainly advancing through certain chambers, but they're not making it all the way through. Um, there is – there seems to be a vibe of let's let's discuss these things. You saw that with Representative Hall's bill um, on statements of diversity, uh, equity, inclusion. Uh, that has also been basically uh, sent for interim too, and uh, didn't pass. In yeah, words. didn't didn't pass. Didn't get through. It's not on the Senate floor, and I'm looking at the Senate calendar right now, and it's still not there. So. Uh, it, it looks like some of these bills, that while they're introduced, they do get a lot of attention and they do certainly uh, get people uh, paying attention and, and getting people speaking out. Uh, they're, they're not getting through and it looks like there's going to be a, lot, a larger discussion that's going to take place uh, over the next year. All right. Robert Gerke, defend your position. <laughs> How is this different from any other year? You've got these kind of extreme bills and you know they cause a stir, but they don't ultimately pass. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the only difference, the difference that I was trying to draw there is that we have so many of these bills this session, so many of these big issues that are coming down the pike. And a lot of them are getting through. The, the abortion uh, restrictions that are getting through, uh, the transgender bill that passed in the earlier in the session. We have these bills restricting uh, lending to, you know, or restricting companies from not lending to gun companies, coal companies, that sort of thing. And and all of these are issues that are driven by a national agenda that is trickled down to the to the local uh, to these local representatives. You know, we have we heard we've heard over and over yesterday, there was a bill talking about how teachers can't make kids feel uncomfortable about their race or their history or their their sexual orientation um, you know and and that's one of these issues nobody could point to an example of you know why we need this bill everybody said we really like our teachers they do a great job but at the same time we're going to put our finger in your eye by telling you that you know you, what you can and can't say in classes so um, you know it, it's 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 this sort of you know, one step forward, three steps back thing, and that I think Representative Hollins was referring to. Yeah, there's so. If 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 we're supposed to be grateful that they didn't, you know, kick us in the teeth, then that's I, I guess maybe that we can be that. But I, I think that we are, there are plenty of examples that we could run down the list of where these where these issues that are driven by a national agenda come through uh, a more activist, more strident. It's particularly in the House group of legislators, and and you know it's it it's it's eroding this sense that we are that we are special. Like I said in the intro there, and and we're just another red state now. I'm not going to make you guys debate throughout the hour, by the way, but you're welcome to if you want. Holly, do you want to say something? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, one of the things that's concerning is that especially these bills related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, racism, sexism, um, and even implicit bias is the fact that they're, that we're even, even revisiting them. Right. I mean, didn't we do that in the sixties and the seventies and like it, I was hopeful especially with the compact on um, racial equity and inclusion that passed that was referenced in that in that um, first piece that that we had maybe moved past the need to talk about why it's important um, that we're not colorblind and why it's important that we look at the data that's already there um, so I've been a little dismayed that they're even talking about it again I want to uh, ask you Ben this is something you mentioned because it seems I, I don't know. Was Senator Johnson, who ultimately pulled his bill, do you think he was influenced by Representative Holland's speech? Because one of the things you've said is that th this kind of testimony can make a difference if people do engage with it. Do you have any sense of, of that? I, I can't speak to the senator's yeah. mindset on this one. But what we did observe was when that bill and Representative Hall's bill were brought up, you saw a, a large group of people turn out. 
to speak mm-hmm. against the bill, to talk about how they disagreed with that legislation. And I think when people do show up to Capitol Hill and they testify about bills, lawmakers do pay attention, you know, whether or not they ultimately vote for it or against it, you know, that that's to be determined. But they do seem to react, especially when they are confronted by people who are saying that they are directly impacted by the policies that lawmakers are passing. you got to show up to play ball. Mm. But this is a point that you had made to to us, Robert, before, is that you didn't think that you were seeing as many rallies, as much intensity. Are you did, did that still play out throughout the session? I mean, Ben could probably speak to it better than I could. My sense is that the public engagement has been a little bit uh, lighter this session than mm-hmm. in some past ones. And part of that, it's kind of hard to draw a comparison because during COVID, obviously, we yeah, were course. doing a lot more remotely uh, and there was a lot less physical in-person kind of uh, the rallies and so and so forth. But, um, you know, and, and, and I think Ben's right. I think that you know, these people do listen to their constituents. I think they are more likely to listen to their delegates, the people who actually got them through the convention and the people who ultimately they're going to have to go uh, go answer to. And, you know, and, and, and I keep coming back to the, the debate on the transgender bill, um, banning the banning hormone therapy and banning the surgery that we had earlier in the session, where you had this long line of people coming up and saying that the, these things have saved my child's life, you know, and or, you know, the I'm the only – there was one that was really powerful where the where who, uh, the person testifying said, I'm the only one of my friends who's still here because mm-hmm. the others have taken their lives. All of these are Utahns, constituents, who are telling these stories and at the end of the day, it didn't make a bit of difference. You described Holly Richardson um, this session as a session of cognitive dissonance where you have a resolution <laughs> on one hand promoting kindness and then – bills like this that could be described by some anyway as yeah. kind of mean-spirited. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you it, – it's not uncommon to see bills that, that uh, maybe almost even conflict with each other. But it feels like the education community, um, everything that I've heard from the teachers um, and the, the – like the UBA, they don't feel like this has been an education-friendly um, session. Hmm. So, yes – there they got was, raises. Holly, yes, there you, was a raise, yeah. <laughs> but it came. It, but it came, you know, with a with a scholarship for um, people who pull their kids out of public school. Um, there's also the bill that Robert just mentioned that um, passed the Senate yesterday that says you, we're not going to make anybody feel uncomfortable in the classroom. That's a pretty strong bill for teachers, but it's also really hard to enforce. Like, what is that? What is that even going to look like? Right. So so on the one hand, you've got people running a resolution that says we should all be kind to each other. And on the other hand, it feels like there's been a lot of unkindness um, this legislative session. If you're a minority, if you're in the LGBTQ community, um, if you're a teacher, right, it feels like there's been a lot of things that the legislature has done that hasn't been very kind. I want to ask about the general sense of how the session played out. But one of the things you mentioned, Ben, is it started – it seems like really chaotic at Oh, the my beginning. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think so, I'm still processing all of that. It, did it stay that way? Did the intensity – No. Honestly, it, okay. it hasn't. And, and I feel like even tonight it's going to end in kind of an anticlimactic way. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. – a lot of the big bills, they – you can definitely see there was a, there was a, a, a general sense of on the last night of last year – there was the transgender athletes bill yeah. and that ate up a lot of conversation and that was mm. a lot of debate time. Mm. A lot of bills died as a result of that. And legislative leadership was certainly criticized for why are we waiting till the last minute to do this kind of policy, this really big bill. So they didn't this time around. They did it at the beginning. And then things kind of that once those bills were pushed through, you had um, the school choice, teacher salaries, the transgender health care bills that went through. Then things kind of found their groove. They started mm. focusing on mm. other priorities, taxes, water, Great Salt Lake, you know, all the other priorities that they have. Um, and now we've gotten through the last batch. You had um, the abortion legislation that uh, passed through yesterday. You had the state flag, the very oddly <laughs> controversial <laughs> state Oddly <flag>. controversial. <laughs> oddly. Yeah. That, oddly controversial. That, that passed through. And um, 
now it's like there's I, I, what I'm watching on the board today is just a lot of little stuff to just mm. see, you know, oh, did that make it through? I mean, the housing bills got through. The mm. homelessness bills have gotten through. Lots of money. Appropriations is done. Mm. Yeah, this this actually, I mean, I don't want to jinx us, everybody, but it sure would be nice if they adjourned early. <laughs> it looks like they it. might, right? I mean, I mean, they they keep they keep teasing us. Yeah. Legislative leadership is always like, well, you never know. All right, we're going to take a break here in a second, uh, but I do want to ask, uh, and then we'll really jump into the particulars of some of these bills. There were something like 1,300-plus bill requests early on. Holly, you had mentioned this. like was record number. They ended up with more than 900 actual drafted bills. So is that too many? Are they are they? That this seems like it's the question I am always asking them. Yeah, yeah. Thirteen hundred seventy-seven bill requests, and as of this morning, nine hundred thirty-three actually filed. And and you ask them the question: Is it too many? And they they all say yes, but none of them want to give up. (laughs) No one gives up. It's like yeah, everybody else should give up their bills. And and they release bills until the very last minute. I mean, which I mean, in some ways, maybe you could cut that off and say at some point we're no more new bills, right? Well, and, and they moved through about 800 of those in the, in, in the uh, last two days, last three days of the session. So it's it's a breakneck pace down the stretch. <laughs> Robert Gerke, he's a columnist with the Salt Lake Tribune, along with Ben Winslow, a reporter for Fox 13. Holly Richardson is with us, editor of Utah Policy and a columnist for the Deseret News. We'll take a break. Come back in a moment. You're listening to Radio West. Here's an easy way to boost your monthly gift to KUER. Switch to a direct donation from your bank account. Your support won't be interrupted due to lost cards or expiration dates, and when you do switch, you'll help KUER save thousands of dollars each year by offsetting steep processing fees. Most importantly, you're strengthening your support of the essential local news and NPR programming you depend on. Make the switch today at KUER.org membership. This is Radio West and Doug Fabrizio. It's not over yet, this year's legislative session. There are still a few more hours left before lawmakers adjourn at midnight, we think, anyway, maybe early. They have to. They have to? (laughs) Yeah, they do have to. Could be sooner, could be sooner. We do know, Noah, enough to talk about what did happen, at least so far, this year on Capitol Hill, what didn't as well. So we're summing up the session today. We have with us Holly Richardson from the Deseret News and Utah Policy. We also have Robert Gerke from the Salt Lake Tribune and Ben Winslow of Fox 13. So let's get to water uh, and the lake. What, what do you think was the most significant thing that lawmakers did for the Great Salt Lake? Um, how did Leia Larson, your colleague at the Tribune, put it. Um, it hasn't been – it didn't seem as splashy <laughs> as last year, even though you'd think that there would have been more. What happened with water in the lake? Can, it depends on who say? you talk to, really. Huh. Huh. Uh, you know, If you're talking to lawmakers, they certainly believe that the policies that they are advancing will be great for the lake and that they will do a lot – um, especially long term as they work to save it. Uh, if you talk to environmental groups, though – what they want is short-term solutions, and they want water into the lake. And that's a question we cons- consistently ask legislative leadership, at least I do, which is, you know, does this bill get water into the lake? Maybe in a roundabout way, maybe down the road it will. These are some big bills. Uh, $200 million for agriculture optimization is going to be a big one. I've been on farms where they've implemented this. Uh, it does see water savings, uh, and it, it's, a, it's a big one. Um, and that's res- a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And I think the, the thing with the lake is the bills are certainly – they're big policies or you know, big efforts to try to help the lake. It's the money that is likely going to make the biggest amount of difference. They're throwing cash at this thing. Um, and and you are going to have consolidations of agencies working together. Uh, there is a bill that does uh, authorize state agencies, do what you need to do to keep the lake from falling into ecological collapse. That does a lot. Um, even this air quality bill, uh, the improbable air quality bill that started out, it was a big ambitious bill, 50% reduction in emissions along the Wasatch Front by 2030. They ended up – Representative Andrew Stoddard ended up modifying his own bill to go after bromine and chlorine, which is a recent study blamed U.S. magnesium for that. The company denies it, says this bill won't do much, but the bill 
moved forward and it got through and it regulates it. It authorizes DEQ to start taking measures there. Even that kind of impacts the lake. A lot of these bills on landscaping, um, the one I'm waiting to see what happens is Representative Owens's bill um, regarding uh, watering. It would ban watering from October 1st. Uh, to April 25th, watering your lawn. I mean, you got your shrubs and stuff. That's still okay. But uh, it would also, where he originally called for it to, all the conserved water to go into the lake, that was stripped out. Water district said, we can't get it the way you want it to do it, you know, and they kind of weren't willing to go along with that. Um, So he stripped that out, but he says he's going to use the bully pulpit to kind of push them Mm. to do it. And then next year he'll bring it back and mandate it. So it sounds like a mixed bag, a lot of money. But Robert, one of the things you've mentioned is they put a lot of money into water, but did they get to the root of the problem? Yeah, I mean, I think this year seemed a little less splashy going to your earlier question because I think last year they took a lot of the big steps, you know, or, or at least laid the groundwork for some of this other stuff that they're doing this year. I think the agriculture optimization is has the potential to actually get at the root problem because we, we've talked before, about three quarters of the water used in the state goes to agriculture. And and the bulk of that goes to growing alfalfa. The bulk of the alfalfa goes gets to China. To China. Yeah. So, um, but you can't, you can't actually solve the problem by, you know, lawns are important. Everybody doing their part is important. Shorter showers, not watering all the time, you know. But that's that's a, a drop in the proverbial lake. And so, you know, I think this agriculture optimization is the one that has the most potential mm-hmm. down the road. Um, so we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, they've been kind of moving in this direction before with the metering on secondary water, the water that comes down ditches and so forth, trying to make those more efficient. Um, so, you know, it's incremental steps. The, the the point that Ben made at the outset is you talk to you talk to these advocates for the lake and they say we've got four or five years before we're reaching a catastrophic tipping point. And, um, and and so, you know, it's a race against time. Fortunately, you look out the window now, we're getting some good snow. We have good snowpack. And so maybe we're going to get a little breathing room. But uh, that doesn't mean we can let up on the gas. Well, but, but that leads to this question. It's like what impact do you think this, you know, above average, well above average snowpack had on the sense of urgency by lawmakers? <laughs> because yesterday during a media availability, mm-hmm. State Senator Scott Sandel, Apparently, he said that lawmakers did have an emergency plan in place, but that Mother Nature has helped out. So is this distracting lawmakers? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, when you feel like it's record-setting snowpack and then the urgency does go down quite a bit. So I think one of the things for me that was funny was um, Doug Wilton wanted to run a bill. He proposed a bill that would um, measure how much golf courses were using. And he got shut down and accused of golf shaming. <laughs> shaming golf courses, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And he, and they resurrected and it and killed it again. We should say this is a Republican lawmaker from Utah Republican County, from lawmaker, Payson. yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So – so there were certain things where it was like, okay, we're we're still going to do this. In fact, I thought Water Week was kind of a bust. There were no bills that moved on Water mm-hmm. Week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, they but, moved the week after. <laughs> yeah, right. But still, it was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you look out the window and you say, yeah, okay, it's it's not quite as urgent this year. We're talking about flooding maybe this year. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk about the budget. Um, Twenty-eight billion of your tax dollars big. at work. <laughs> big budget. <laughs> so big. What, what is? What are you seeing in the numbers that what, talks about the the condition of the state, like economically? We'll, we'll get to the the tax cut package and all of that. But what what were lawmakers as as is I guess kind of typical? We're dealing with a large surplus. What is it telling us about the condition of the state and the way lawmakers were thinking about money? I mean, I, Ben can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but. I mean, it, there's been a lot of talk about how the state's growing faster than any other state. And I think there's a little bit – they were a little bit conservative. They're always conservative. But a little bit cautious in budgeting this year because I think they're worried about the potential for a cooling mar- uh, a cooling economy in the year to come. And so they were, they always hold a lot of money back in rainy day funds and so forth. Um, and and I think obviously tax cuts are sort of Republican doctrine, so they they were they leaned into those pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, you know they they recognize that there are some pressing issues that need to be addressed. Things like state worker salaries and so forth um, that have kind of gone too long without attention. Uh, the and and Holly mentioned earlier the teachers the increase for education and teacher salaries. Um, 
you know, they, they, the, the state government is not exempt or not immune to any of these issues we have with trying to attract and retain employees. And mm-hmm. so I think that's uh, – they were, they were trying to put out some hotspots there. Yeah, $350 million in new funding for, for uh, pay increases, right? Yeah, that's yeah. And, and the money that they put into education, as Holly mentioned, was significant, an 18.5% increase on the per-pupil unit. Uh, and and then the six thousand in, in teacher salary increases, at the same time, you know, coming with these sort of like uh, some of some of the less uh, some of the pejorative, I guess, legislation that came with it. So, uh, four hundred million dollars so tax cut package. They um, trying to sort of figure out. They they sh- dropped the the income tax rate from. <laughs> This is going to start making people's eyes glaze, glaze it's over. It's about two hundred dollars like, a year okay, for the average okay. Utah family making that sounds an better, Ben, salary. than four point eight five to four point six. It's, it's a modest tax decrease. Okay, and and that's kind of the the measure that they wanted. I've talked to groups like the Utah Taxpayers Association, which is like, come on, you can do better than that. We know you can, and. They're like, no, we don't want to because they are worried about these economic headwinds and no one likes to pass a tax cut. And then you hit a recession and turn around and have to say, oh, just kidding, Utahns, we're going to raise your taxes now. Yeah, yeah, that's the kiss of death right there. What about the effort to get rid of the food tax? Well, a couple of things. So so that one comes with – it's another one-two package, right? So that one comes with um, a change to the Utah Constitution and the earmarking that they have been doing for income tax. And that will not be voted on until um, the 2024 Mm -hmm. cycle. So um, the the earliest it would come off, I think, is January 2025. Wait, just explain that for people. So what that means is next year, Utah voters will have to vote about what? Uh, changing the Utah Constitution that says that the income tax is now allocated just for education, but it will open it up a little bit more and let le- legislators use that bucket of money for other purposes. That's what that means. And it comes along with um, if you if the voters choose that, then the tax will come off of food all the way. And if they don't, it doesn't. And this is this kind of goes to what Holly was saying earlier. I, in my mind, this is a pretty cynical ploy to pit interest groups against each other. It puts educators in a really tough situation where they can, you know, cut off their own supply of funding that's been in the Constitution for over 60 years. And, and you know, they can, they can get rid of that in exchange for this or, or they can campaign against this really popular proposal that's been floating around for years to get rid of the rest of the sales tax on food. You remember Governor Huntsman years ago got rid of the first segment of it, but the second segment has been sitting there and it's about $200 million and it largely benefits the most impacted people are low-income people. So if you're educators, you're now put in a position where you have to go campaign against the interest of a lot of the families whose kids you're teaching on a regular basis and and are on the brink of hunger, right? So it's 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 a cynical move that we saw with the vouchers, the voucher proposal, where you know we'll give you money if you don't oppose the voucher thing, and and it's 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 something that I haven't seen to this extent in in previous sessions. How did lawmakers deal with the ongoing question of housing? The There's state. a lot of money that got thrown into that and some pretty – bills that uh, advocates for housing and homelessness are feeling really, really good about. Uh, mm. The homeless services bill um, that, that requires uh, winter shelter plans for uh, counties of the second class. So that's basically Davis, Weber, Utah counties. Um, that made it through. It also enacts a code blue uh, which is something homeless advocates for people experiencing homelessness have wanted. It's uh, it says that you know you can expand uh, shelter capacity <laughs> in in events of extreme weather. It also says you can't do camp abatement in those extreme weather situations. And um, that did that surprise you? It it. it I, I wasn't sure if it would ever get in. Hmm. Uh, quite frankly, it's something homeless advocates have wanted yeah. and. They got it, and and the sense I get is they're they're very happy with that. You also have these housing bills. Um, the legislature certainly takes it from the view of it's a supply problem, and that they need to increase housing supply. So the Senate president personally ran a bill for first time homebuyer construction, some some loans or grants programs. Um, 
You've got some bills on housing affordability, increasing supply of that as well. Uh, Those are getting through. Uh, They definitely see an issue here. Um, I don't know if they all entirely address making rent prices go down or making the cost of the house go down. But that may be a market forces thing versus uh, a legislative thing, which, as we know, they're reluctant to want to uh, yeah, mandate can, a lot of those sure, things. They can only do so much. Any yeah, there was, a, there was a really interesting, t- a potentially really helpful tax credit that I, I think it kind of creates a revolving fund that's going to end up helping developers get more housing on, on the market, which might actually impact those rental prices. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like that the first-time homebuyer credit. I think it's because we all know that if you have kids right now and they're looking around, you know, yep. buying a house is not feasible. Yeah. But at the same time, they only had it apply to new construction, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably hmm. something that, you know, given the developer orientation of the legislature is maybe not too surprising, hmm. but it's a little disappointing. Any final thoughts on housing? It sounds like you're all saying pretty not good. bad. Pretty Some good. progress, yeah. I mean, I have kids in that category of starting to look for their first home, and they're looking at $500,000 homes for starter mm-hmm. homes. I'm like, whoa, so so expensive, right, and really hard, I think, for for our kids. And that was one of the things that um, President Adams said is he wanted to make sure that we didn't lose our kids to other states because they can't afford to stay here. But, yeah, I think good progress. Holly Richardson, editor of Utah Policy and a columnist for the Deseret News, along with Ben Winslow. He's a reporter for Fox 13. Robert Gerke, also with us, a columnist for the Salt Lake Tribune. We'll take another break and come back in just a moment. You're listening to Radio West. Being a dependable, trustworthy news source, that's our goal at KUER. In order to meet that goal, we depend on listener contributions. Your support ensures the local and national news heard on KUER remains independent, commercial-free, and accessible for all. If you rely on our programming to stay informed, become our newest sustainer with a gift of just $5 a month. Start your monthly support at KUER.org slash donate. This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio. Today in the program, we're talking about this year's legislative session. Lawmakers will wrap up the session at midnight tonight. Uh, there's water and the air and the lake. And as always, the message bills with us to talk about the session is Ben Winslow. He's a reporter for Fox 13. Holly Richardson is also with us, a former lawmaker, editor of Utah Policy, also a columnist for the Deseret News is with us. Robert Gerke with the uh, Salt Lake Tribune is also with us. Let's spend a moment on on abortion. Um, Representative Lizenby's bill that stops the state from issuing these um, licenses to abortion clinics passed. It's basically a ban on on abortion clinics, I suppose. Is, did did you expect this? It, it's, I guess it's a way to sort of clean up the trigger law. This is how the governor has described it. What happened, Holly? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think we're seeing. Um, especially with the repeal and overturn of Roe v. Wade on a national level, the state is trying to restrict as much as possible um, abortions that happen in the state. So the clinics will be closed. No new clinics will come into existence. The people seeking abortion will have to go to the hospital for the ones who will still qualify. But I think think one of the the things that people forget sometimes is that it's a lot more complicated than just um, I'm pro-life or I'm pro-choice, right? And and there's a lot of gray area, and we're seeing that play out in some of the other states as people are starting to get into quote-unquote legal trouble because they have a miscarriage, but they can't actually have the medical care that they need because the doctors feel like they'll get in trouble, right? And they, And so moms are risking their lives, really, because they either have to carry a, a baby who's died for too long or they have to wait until the baby dies. I mean, it, it can become pretty murky, but but that's what's going to be the law of the land in Utah. So, How is it different, Robert, Utah, for example, than any other red state? I'll say like any red state deep in the Bible Belt. Yeah. Is Utah different? In I mean, I, that was going to be the point I was going to make is it feels like there's a competition to see who can pass the most onerous restrictions on 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 clinics and we've seen 
around the you know the Bible Belt you mentioned, where entire states you know you have to travel through two states to get an abortion in a in a blue state, um, and and that's where we're heading. I mean, it, you know, Holly mentioned that yeah, if we, if we move all of these into hospitals, um, that may on the surface seem like a reasonable solution, but hospitals don't have to perform them. Doctors can uh, reject or opt out. Uh, they're expensive. Insurance doesn't have to cover it. Um, so if if access to what is, in many instances, a health care procedure is restricted in that, in that way, I think you, you create some real potential problems. And I, I think they you know, this whole debate about whether a 13-year-old who's pregnant or a 16-year-old who's pregnant is considered to be case of incest or rape, I think that, you know, it kind of gets to sort of the the ghoulishness of trying to draw those draw those distinctions and we still have we still have issues with the uh with the definition of or or with the requirement to report uh this case of rape or incest to law enforcement and then to verify it you know i think they've they've made it pretty complicated but i'm not surprised that this is what they ended up doing and and you know i think like like i said at the outset this is a competition to see who can clamp down on it the, the tightest what are you saying? I, I, I want to see what happens after all of this is hmm. done and see what happens in the courts because it, it, it is clear that, that is this is not was, done out of the courts. OK. So, so do you, I guess that was the, that was the question. Like um, given what happened in the Supreme Court, um, are, the, are those legal dimensions the same? Will there be the same kinds of – clearly there will be some kind of challenge I guess you're expecting. I think you can expect a challenge no matter what um, to – from here on out to any abortion bill that passes uh, the legislature. Let's talk about liquor laws. Um, ben Wenzel, <laughs> Do a shot, everybody. <laughs> what, did, what happened? What, 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 what can you say? You've been following this issue. Well, we'll see what happens at the end of tonight. But uh, because the bill hasn't passed through yet, Um, the omnibus liquor bill, which is, of course, the annual liquor bill, does a lot. Uh, This is going to address some big problems that they've had um, in terms of we've had a lot of restaurants opening up. That's great. We had a lot of new businesses opening up. They would like to serve alcohol. We don't have a lot of licenses because of this uh, number that the legislature has passed. One license, one bar license per every 10,200 people. Completely made up number. Um, I was going to say, it seems like an arbitrary. It is arbitrary because it was made up. Um, And so the legislature is going to review that uh, because, you know, every month at the DABS commissions, you have this mother, may I have a liquor license, please. And you just wait and see what happens. And some, and they're, they're now having this problem also with restaurants where there are so many restaurants, there aren't a lot of uh, restaurant licenses. So they're having these issues. They're, they're reworking it. They reworked some licenses. They freed up 20 new bar licenses, 35 new restaurant licenses. They've got this banquet license thing that if a restaurant wants to hold a private party, they can apply for a special license for that. But now they got to build an opaque wall. The return of the <laughs> so Zion Curtain. Wall they bad. don't like that I call it a Zion Curtain, but it's <laughs> by another name. Um, that's back. Uh, flavored beers will stay on grocery and convenience store shelves. They finally resolved this uh, long simmering dispute over uh, what it takes to make a, a beer product. Utah does have a unique legal definition of beer. Mm. Uh, this kind of puts us more in line with more national standards so that we – because after uh, after the uh, ABV changed, uh, we no longer have the special Utah brand of 3-2 beer. Yeah. So that this kind of puts us that way so you don't lose some of the big brands that are flavored beers. Uh, the other thing that they threw in on the House side that I'm curious to see what will happen is um, looks like uh, – Beer and uh, liquor advertising on public transit will no longer be allowed, so you won't see uh, jazz players uh, selling beer on the side of a tracks train or a bus. So what would you say net gain for sort of more progressive – a more progressive sentiment about liquor in Utah or what? I think it goes like – like the uh, Great Salt Lake bills, it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Gurkey, yeah, what do you think? Uh, talking to people up there, I, th- there's a sense among legislators that they they're going to get beat up for not doing everything that people want them to do, or else doing too much. Um, it's it's almost in some ways a no-win situation for them. But I do think there maybe has been a little bit of a of progress on the, our approach to liquor in the sense that it is seen as an economic 
development tool now that in a way that maybe it wasn't in the past. Um, and so I think, I think, uh, you know, like what Ben said about the, the licensing, I think is a, is a important and long overdue step forward. Um, and we'll see how long that, uh, you know, if that, if that, how far that gets us. I forgot to mention portability too. This is a one that's been a long-standing complaint of consumers is you are in a restaurant. You order a drink at the bar while you're waiting for your table. You either had to – You can't take it to your table. You cannot take it to your table. You had to slam that sucker down and then uh, – have you ever seen someone chug wine? I mean anyway, uh, you can under this law – you've done it probably. Um, you, you can under this law take your drink from the bar area to your table in a restaurant. However, you must be escorted by a restaurant employee. So there's still something there. Um, Holly, say something about uh, Senate. I don't know how much you know about it, so I don't want to put you on the spot. Senator Escamilla's bill that would have authorized this pilot program for the medical use of of uh, magic mushrooms. Well, I listened to the debate, so it actually was quite interesting. Um, some of the people who testified said that they actually have been involved in research and that it is impossible to overdose on these is it psilocybin? Psilocybin. Psilocybin. Yeah. Okay, the f- technical word, right? Um, I think I think the bill, by the time she presented it in committee, it was clear it wasn't going to go anywhere. And and uh, so they held the bill this year. But the testimony was quite was really quite interesting. And, and I listened to uh, Connor Boyack from Libertas, actually. Mm-hmm. And he compared it libertarian to... Libertarian group. Libertarian group, yeah. He compared it to um, how we got to medical marijuana in the state of Utah. And he said, actually, this bill that Senator Escamilla was proposing was considerably more restrictive. Mm-hmm. It would have um, not allowed allowed anyone to take the mushrooms home with them. It would have uh, limited it to people over the age of 21 and under the direct supervision of somebody who was authorized, actually, to provide this therapy. So um, before I listened to the debate, I think I had some preconceived notions that this was really pretty far out there. But it was it was an interesting debate. And to hear Senator Escamilla say, I think the reason her eyes were opened was the medical marijuana debate that we mm-hmm. had a few years ago in the state. So is that where this is that where we're headed, do you think? Legalizing it? Uh, not anytime soon. Yeah. Probably not. I wouldn't discount the Senate minority leader on this one. What do you mean? I just think the bill will be back, and they're probably going to work on it in the interim. Yeah. Uh, it huh. was gaining support amongst Republicans on Capitol Hill even uh, because they've seen and heard from constituents who've said they've seen benefits from it. The governor, however, did not like this bill. Yeah. He said we're getting too far ahead of the FDA. Yeah. So. Which, which wasn't necessarily the same concern they had when they passed the medical marijuana I know. bill. I think, I, I think Connor's point is well taken. This is, I think they would have been foolish to expect this to pass this session. It's building. It's an incremental thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you've got to make the case and, and change minds to, to get there. And who knows? Maybe you'll have a senator say, I've tried them myself, <laughs> just like with the medical marijuana. Um, let's talk about just quickly social media, this age verification bill. Anything there that's interesting? They've passed. They're going through and I expect the governor will sign them because he has said he will sign any social media bill that crosses his desk. He feels that strongly about this subject. The age verification thing, I think that's going to have to be worked out. And that's kind of what they built into the law is working out how you do this. I mean, do you expect every Utah to upload your driver license to Meta? I, I, I think a lot of people have a lot of concerns about that idea, about giving uh, giving them that. TikTok. And TikTok. You know, <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of – the state is a, generally has a lot of problems with TikTok. Uh, so TBD on all of that mm. and hmm. – um, yeah. Yeah, so. I mean basically the legislature said we want to do something, but what we want to do we don't know. So yeah. we're going to let, let the uh, Department of Commerce come up with some regulations on it. Nobody really knows how they're going to approach that and what they're going to end up with. And, and ben Mo- as Ben mentioned, there's this privacy issue, particularly when you're talking about age verification for children. Uh, as a, as a par- I don't think there are a lot of parents out there who really want to expose their kids to, you know, that sort of that sort of uh, that sort of privacy intrusion, intrusion yeah. on the, yeah, on well, the privacy. OK, uh, Supposed to wrap things up at midnight. What's left? What's still on your radar right now? As you, it, you seem to say, Ben, they've sort of 
dealt with most of the big stuff, but what's left? SJR 10, which is the proposed constitutional amendment, just got introduced onto the board in the House. Uh, It is circled right now, so that means it'll come up for debate later. Uh, This is the proposed constitutional amendment that Holly mentioned to remove – or not remove. It it preserves the earmark but allows the state to dip in when they need to. Um, That one, I expect, will pass through the legislature, and then they'll just keep negotiating it. They've got a year and a half, so yeah. they, they have time to kind of finesse the language, make everybody happy with it um, as much as they can. So that's left uh, that I'm keeping track on. And again, just a lot of little stuff. Oh, the state the state crustacean could come up too. <laughs> the brine shrimp, the porcini just passed in the Senate. Oh, it did. It, it, is, it is our state mushroom now. So we Speaking did legalize mushrooms. mushrooms in the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Robert Gerke, at the beginning of the session, you believed that this was the most concerning session that you had observed. Yeah. Looking back, anything that you've seen over the past 45 days? I mean, I think change. I would argue my read was pretty on the on the spot. You had all of these freshman Republicans in the House. A lot of them, repla- a couple of them, replacing Democrats. A lot of them replacing moderate Republicans. Uh, with a much more, as Ben mentioned, they had their marching orders. They they were they had a mandate to go in and kick butt, and they came in and tried to do that. And I think you really saw a shift in the tone uh, of of the way the session operated and and a much more activist sense out of the House. And and that doesn't mean, I, and I don't want it to sound like it's all bad. They did some good things. They expanded uh, full day kindergarten, uh, postpartum benefits for for new mothers. These um, were things that oh, you, po- yeah. you pointed out mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, and I think, I think all of those are important. But I do think you have this sort of uh, fierce, uh, strident conservative tone, uh, particularly in the House, and I think leadership had a little bit harder time keeping a, a check on that. We talked about some of the ways, some of the bills where they did, some of the bills where they didn't, but I think this is going to be a, a not a one-off. I think looking into the, into the future, we're going to see this sort of atmosphere in the sessions in years to come. Less than a minute. Final thoughts? I, I just want to point out some of the good things that they have done, and that is, uh, Robert already mentioned them, but expanding postpartum Medicaid coverage for moms from 60 days to 365 days, the all-day kindergarten bill um, that passed. And then there's a great bill by Ashley Matthews, who's a Democrat, who is directing the state uh, healthcare program, PEHP, to cover doulas on licensed direct entry midwives. So I'm a big fan of that one. Ben, final thought? Stay tuned. <laughs> it's, it's a wild ride. Buckle up, kids. Anything can happen. It's Ben Winslow, a reporter for Fox 13. Robert Gerke, a columnist with the Salt Lake Tribune, along with Holly Richardson. She's editor of Utah Policy, a columnist with the Deseret News. Thank you all. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Radio West is a production of KUER. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at Radio West. Our producers are Benjamin Bombard and Tim Slover. Carrie Watson is our executive producer. I'm Doug Fabrizio. 